Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Life Lessons from Sport and Beyond. I'm Simon Mundy and this week's guest is Amy Williams who became the first British individual gold medalist at a Winter Olympics for 30 years at the 2010 Games in Vancouver. She competed in the skeleton, which basically involves plummeting headfirst down a steep and treacherous ice track on a tiny sled at speeds upwards of 80 miles an hour. The theme of this episode is self-awareness and we discuss all sorts, including building confidence, being open to new experience and not continually comparing yourself to other people. Here is a taste of what's coming up. Some of my notes were if if I didn't look at the other girls' times and I had just my time, would I be happy with what I had just done? Yes. Hmm. And now that I've compared myself to the other wow. girls and they might have done one tenth quicker, suddenly I'm not happy. Amy has a great new book out. It's called Talent to Triumph, How Athletes Turn Potential into High Performance. And we cover lots of the topics and themes in this conversation. Before we get to it, I just want to give a shout out to my sponsors, Pure Sport CBD. Now, CBD is a type of cannabinoid, which is a chemical found naturally in cannabis plants. But unlike THC, CBD does not get you high. And early research is promising regarding the ability of CBD to help relieve anxiety, inflammation, as well as aches and pains. I have used CBD for three or four years and Pure Sport CBD are my go-to brand now. They've got a vast range of oils, capsules, balms, and nootropics, basically something for everyone. And Pure Sport CBD products are used and trusted by loads of the world's top athletes for good reason. And you can get 20% off all of their products using the code LIFE20 at checkout. That's LIFE and the number 20, all one word, at puresportcbd.com. Right, let's get to this week's conversation with Amy Williams. 
Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm really well, thank you, Simon. Good to, to be here with you. Lovely to be here with you too. With your stunning backdrop that we've just been talking about, that has to be the best view I've <laughs> seen on this podcast yet. Hats off to you. Yeah, I do have a giant, giant window with the best view in the world, just on the edge of Bath. So we're so lucky. And the boys, my little boys love it because we've just got some cows that have moved in. I know. To the field. <laughs> yeah. And we can literally scratch their heads over the wall of our garden. <laughs> Yeah, occasionally there's a little cow pops up over your shoulder, so uh, (laughs) one to watch out for. Right, Amy, I was having a look at your website, right? And it says, Olympic champion, TV presenter, speaker, MBE in the Queen's birthday honours. And I was thinking, this is not bad at all for someone who claims that she was introverted and lacking confidence earlier in life yeah I mean I definitely was the shyer one and even now if I go into a room I would definitely like stand on the background I'm happy not to talk you know I'll just observe but I mean the moment that I won that medal and you're you're thrust in that limelight and Claire Bolden's interviewing you with BBC Sport you suddenly have to then realise I have to talk now and I have to share my story and I'm going to be interviewed. So I've learned to sort of come out of my shell and sort of, you know, that sort of double side of you of being the nice, quiet, shy one and then the other side of you that no one believes you, but, you know, you're standing up talking in front of hundreds of school kids or businessmen or or whichever one. So, yeah, I, I kind of, I've learned to have to come out of that shyness and the sort of not confident. It is interesting that we can get an impression, as someone said on an earlier episode, we judge people's insides by their outsides. I bumped into you recently and... I'm obviously very aware of you and all you've achieved and heard you speak and people wouldn't be of that opinion. Yeah. And it's funny because my, our son, who's four, four and a half, he's just started school. He is very, very shy and introverted and he's the one who's hiding behind your legs. And yet in other situations, I mean, he's, he's crazy. He's wild. He's manic. You know, you wouldn't think that at all of him. And it it reminds me and you know, Oh yeah, well actually that's kind of what I'm like. Um, Mm. So it's quite interesting to see it now in your own children. And yeah, yeah, I mean, as an athlete in skeleton, I wasn't the most confident athlete. I had to find ways of tricking myself into that kind of confidence um, and how I prepared to be able to give myself the confidence. So it wasn't a natural thing. I had to really work at it to become a, a confident athlete. Yeah. And I'm really interested to dig into how you did that. But first of all, we've got to do a bit of your story, obviously, tee you up. And I actually want to start way back before your skeleton, before Vancouver. You're a twin, aren't you? I am. Yeah. My twin sister, Ruth. And then I've got a brother who's just 18 months older. How do you think that shapes you? Yeah, crikey. So I guess it was, um, you know, our childhood was very much, well, the three of us just outside, playing outside. You know, we had a big garden. We we didn't grow up with a TV. We didn't have computers. You know, you didn't have phones back then in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, we were just wholesome outside, off you go. Literally, I think my mum had a bell like to bring us in when we heard that <laughs> it was dinner time and we'd run in. Um And, you know, every Sunday was going for walks. You know, it was dad would get the walking book out and we'd go and it was meant to be one hour and four hours later, we were like, dad, we're lost, come on. So that was our kind of childhood walking holidays, you know, youth hosteling. And, you know, it was just that really outdoors, playing, um, mucking around with your siblings. 
I mean, I also shared a bedroom with my sister. So we always had that connection and going through school. But then actually we were all, we were quite different, you know, studied different subjects uh, in school and had different groups of friends, but clearly still very close. That outdoorsy life you mentioned, it sounds very idyllic. And I feel a bit actually for younger generations, I'm sure it's still common in some places around the country but it it seems to be less common particularly obviously with the impact of digital so yeah are you grateful for having had that opportunity growing up in that way yeah for sure I mean at the time we were like oh mum dad we want a tv why haven't we got a tv you know but actually in hindsight I mean we encourage although right now my two-year-old is stuck on the ipad we encourage You know, not too much TV, not too much iPad. You know, we are lucky to have a garden. We live on the outskirts of Bath in the countryside. We feel like we've got, you know, I've got cows outside the window. You know, we are outside and it's a really Mm. important part. And I mean, our boys love being outside. They love looking for bugs and creatures. And and that is a really important thing for us to be able to, to have that really wholesome outdoors, you know, that whole wellness approach to life Mm. and you know fitness and health and well-being and you know Mm. at the weekends we do all try and hey get the scooter and the bike out or whatever like scoot down the lane and playing is so important you know even here or in the mornings let's not put the tv on just play with some lego and you know they're really nice at Mm. age two and four that they're starting to play together and making up games and that was my childhood just playing and I think that then goes into sport and Mm. You know, you take up sport, you take up football, rugby, netball, whatever, because you enjoy playing. And yes, the competitive side comes later. Um, Brian Ashton does a lovely little um, quote and interview in my book in the first sort of section. And, you know, he goes back to how he was coaching and rugby and for England, um, you know, that actually you've got to come back to play. It always yeah. starts with play, playing in the playground, in the football, you know, you know, kicking around, playing with your, your friends, throwing that ball. Play has to be part of it. and and even at the Olympic race, the last thoughts are, I have to enjoy this. I have Mm. to enjoy what I'm doing. And I think when you get to the top level of many things, especially in sport and the competition and the stress and the anxiety and the pressure, you forget that you're meant to be enjoying it. You forget that element of play. And so I think that's a really important thing to remember from childhood up to adulthood to sort of keep that thread in through. To be an elite athlete or to be an Olympic gold medal winner, you've got to have a particularly unique combination of traits, a particular cocktail, and it isn't for everyone. And I've heard you talk about, for example, how much you enjoyed beasting yourself. (laughs) You've got a bit of a masochistic side, haven't you? (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess that was sort of like the old me, shall I say. Yeah, I mean, I think every athlete uh, at that high level loves to push themselves, loves to push themselves to the limit on that edge, whether it's sliding down an ice track at 90 miles per hour or whether it's, okay, I'm going to see how heavy I can squat in the gym. You know, you you want to be on that edge. And for me, I love that training and seeing how much heavier could I lift? Was it one kilo, two kilos the next week? You know, making those PBs. And so I think, yeah, that's clearly like inbuilt. Now I have to do it slightly differently. Um, but you're still finding any challenge. And I've been really lucky, you know, since since winning that I've I've done big TV shows, whether it was 71 degrees north and the ice and, you know, digging ice mm. tunnels and whatnot, or whether it was 
Tour de Celeb, that was a cycling one, do a stage of the Tour de France. I'm like, okay, I've yeah. never really been on a bike with cleats. Let's do this. I've got three months to like nail it, smash it. <laughs> These are all before children. But yeah, to be given a mission, to be given a challenge, okay, can I do this challenge? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, that's something that you love. And I guess now it's slightly different being a mother. Um, you know, how can you change those challenges? And I guess now mm-hmm. that writing a book was a challenge. It's been on the bucket list yeah. for 10 years, setting up my own personal training. That's a challenge. Can I make other people reach their goals and their challenges and and help just in that background? Little steps like that are are really important and I can sort of shift the focus. Now... You were an athlete first and foremost, weren't you? So you were a a 400 meter runner. You were very good. And then aged 18, right place, right time, and an attitude of saying yes, put you on a path that completely ultimately shaped your life. Yeah, I mean, athletics 400 plus. I mean, yeah, I thought I was great. But I mean, the times were good, but they weren't. You know, I knew... I wasn't in the right place to be able to represent my country. I had a lot of shin splints and problems with my shin. So I couldn't do all the long stuff. And so I was in that place of, okay, I think I need to find another sport. What's out there? What's around? Uh, living in Bath. I'm really lucky that at the University of Bath, there were loads, it's a national training center for a lot of different sports. And so, yeah, I happened to be in the gym after a, an athletic session and I was like, hmm, what are these people doing? And there were some smaller people, some bigger guys. It's like, okay. Got chatting, bobsleigh athletes, skeleton athletes. They're about to go down onto this special start track. Do you mind if I join? Okay. And so, yeah, it was a bit of being a bit nosy. What are you doing? Chatting away, you know, probably stretching on a mat, you know, where you have all your chats in a gym. Um, mm. And yeah, I mean, I kind of invited myself to go and have a go at this this special start track that had been just built for the 2002 uh, Winter Olympic Games for Salt Lake City. And yeah, I mean, I went, had a go. They were all training to go out to Groningen in Holland to do the World Push Championships 2002. And there was a place, and very long story short, I entered as a guest, went along all the way out to Holland on about seven trains. It was, you know, a bit of a mission, again, a bit yeah. of a challenge. And I won my guest category and had a really fast time. And the performance director that had just come on board with British Skeleton, Simon Timpson, said, well, look, there's an army ice camp, military ice camp. Why don't you pay as a civilian? There was about five of us. Go and see what you think of the real sport. And so I did. I was doing an art foundation course at the time at Bath College. And so already I decided not to go and do an art degree because I was maybe going to go up to Edinburgh to specialise. I'd stay in Bath, quickly change my degree choices to do a sports degree at Bath Uni just so that I could get the student loan for the student loan to pay for this two-week ice camp, which was, you know, like about two grand or something, so that it would all sort of sink in so that I could go out on ice in Norway um, to October 2002 and see basically what was this sport? Could I be any good at it? Could that speed from my sprint in the 400 transfer into the sport of skeleton? So, yeah, I mean, saying yes to things in you know, giving things a go and being a bit gutsy, I guess, definitely leads you out onto that different path. Yes. There's a lot to be said for having an attitude of saying yes. Now, obviously, it's important to know when to say no. But as an overall attitude, if you're slanted towards yes, it does set you up nicely. And you're a perfect example of that. And what you just said there about inviting yourself. So you created the opportunity for yourself. 
I, yeah, I didn't really think of it like that at the time, clearly. No. But yeah, sort of goes against me saying how shy I am. But yeah, I mean, that 17 year old back then was shy, but I guess there was still that inquisitive, oh, can I come and watch? Can I come and see? Yeah, and I mean, I tell everyone now, just say yes to everything. You know, give it a go. Whether you're a young athlete and you don't really know what your sport is, you might think you're going to be a netballer, but actually you might be better suited to rowing, you know, and you can easily transition across. And there's so many stories of of that. So, I mean, I have to say now I am learning to try and say no to a lot more things. Yes, that's a skill as well, right? But, but as a... so full and you're like, why did I say yeah. yes? Yeah, learn to say yes first or embrace that and then learn to say no. It seems to be that way, but it's better that way round, I think, because our brains naturally veer towards a negative, like to keep us in our comfort zone. So getting out and actually saying yes in the first place. And then when your diary becomes too busy, then learn to say no. But I'd suggest doing it in that order. And in terms of skeleton, did you just have a sense that this could be special? This could be something I could really enjoy? Was it like a calling? It was kind of a more sort of step to step kind of process, I guess, because I I went out onto that ice camp back in 2002. Uh, I mean, first, second time, I think I cried at the bottom, you know, like it wasn't <laughs> pleasant. it's not cool. You're bashing the walls and you're head to toe with bruises. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I kept going. But it was more kind of, you know, it was the end of an Olympic period then. So every four years, some people retire out. Okay, there's a bit of an empty gap here. There's not so many girls in the sport. I do have potential here. I've got the start. And it was more that sort of, okay, I could get onto the team, represent Great Britain, go onto that little Europa Cup level, learn the sport. And I mean, it took all years because we had no funding back then. So I then did a full-time job and was fitting in the gym at 6am and then going back to the gym at 4pm at the end of the day. And, you know, it was really tough all before we had lottery funding, before the sport had a lot more funding. You know, with any sport, you have to get the medals in to be able to get the funding, you know, but you can't get the medals unless you've got the funding. And this is obviously 2002, 3, 4, very different to what the sport is now. But, you know, we gradually kept going. And I guess I kept going because that addiction takes over. I want to get down this track one second quicker. I don't want to hit 10 walls. I only want to hit nine walls and eight walls. And now I want to have the perfect clean run where I don't hit any walls. And, oh, wow, I got a PB. Or, you know, and just slowly those little goals and those goalposts that you set yourself daily, weekly, monthly, you know, you're ticking them off. And, oh, yeah. I could almost go to Turin Olympics here, but we've only got one place and, oh, I didn't quite make it. Okay, I've missed that and I was so close. 100% now, four years time, I'm going to go to Vancouver and I am going to go and try and get a medal. And, you know, it's just those step-to-step goalposts yeah. that you're shifting and moving and, you know, realising, hang on, if I put the blinkers on now, yes, no to everything in life. Yes, this will help me go to Olympic Games. I'll do it. No, I won't do it then. And that's how I kind and, of lived my life then. And that little 1% getting better every day, people talk about compound interest. So if you're getting 1% better every day, you're not 365% better at the end of the year. It's something like 3,700% because you're 1% better of 101% and then et cetera, et cetera. And so just really small 1% each day for you, it really added up. 
yeah, I think that's very right. You know, we all have a kind of say in and, you know, where are those one percents coming from? And in our sport where we, we don't have an ice track in Great Britain, you know, we have yeah, to not ideal, yeah. <laughs> five, six months away training around. Um so our summer months are definitely all about power, speed, explosiveness. How can we make our bodies the fastest, most powerful things that we can so that then when we go out into the winter and we're slightly more concentrating on the sliding and the driving and the skill to get the sled down quicker, you know, and you're combining it all together. So those little 1% are crucial. You get two yeah. times down a track every day to practice that's yeah. six runs before you race and it's two runs to race or in Olympic games, it's four runs. So split seconds, one one hundredth of a second can be first, yeah. second, third place. And so, yeah, those little one percents are so crucial. And that could just be how you plan yourself, how your nutrition is, how you eat, how you sleep, how you pack your bag the night before, you know, how stressed you're feeling, how anxious, you know, so much that goes into it, that planning and preparation. And all of that can affect your performance and the athlete that then you're going to become and are going to be on that field of play. And I suppose you can apply that to any area. It's like we all want to get better in different areas, whether it be obviously at works, the obvious one, but it might be being a husband or wife. It might be a parent. And I know you were a big note taker. So you always carried around your note and you would be analyzing what you'd done well and what you hadn't done well and always looking to improve. But that attitude of just a little bit better every day in any area of life, it's a powerful one. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I had my kind of notebook. Uh, we'd write track notes all the time. You'd even be you know, writing down the air temperature, ice temperature, humidity temperature, all these things. And that was sort of very statistical stuff to help you choose your equipment. Mm. But also how I was feeling, like it would be just a smiley face or grumpy face or didn't sleep well, or I mm. hate this track. Like, meh. Like, you know, it could just be silly things. <laughs> yeah. Or I'd write notes. I found them the other day, especially when I was writing my book. I was like, oh, what did I write? And, you know, and I've, I've taken out quite a lot from my psychology book into this new one. Yeah. And, you know, I, I read things like, Amy, by the way, you hate this track, but don't worry. After day one of race, no, of training, you love it and you're always good at it and you always win a medal. You know, silly little wow. messages. Like, a year later, when you return to that track and you've got all those horrible feelings, you know, it could be a track that you've always crashed at or whatever. I'll read it and I'm like, okay, I know I feel terrible on day one. I know I'm the most nervous person. I feel really sick. But I also know, because I told myself last time, that it will only be day one that I feel like this. And then I nail it and I smash it. And yes, I always come home with a medal. So um, just silly little things like that, that you think are silly at the time, but actually it's just yourself pep talk. You know, it's just that little, yeah. oh, I'm just going to write it down and it doesn't matter. Or, you know, for me, it was learning about not, always focusing on the other people don't always focus yeah. on those two girls don't worry about what they're doing you're the only one that makes you and your body and your sled go faster and that was a massive learning thing for me and I think you know it's just finding that balance and like you say in real life now is it I just want to drink an extra glass of water today I would just want to be a little bit more hydrated is it you know I want to not be so rushed in the morning so I just set my alarm 10 minutes early you know, just those tiny little things. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, now with my own PT clients, you know, I'm, it's just switching those tiny things of maybe just have wine at a weekend in your cheese rather than yeah. every night. And that's <laughs> how you're not losing weight. Well, there's a few things I want to pick up from what you've just said. I read an article recently talking about 
or encouraging people to write a letter to themselves as a almost therapeutic tool. And here you are talking about having done that to yourself and it being really fundamental to helping your performance. So that to me is evidence that 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 approach is, is a really good one. Did you do that kind of thing? And was your note taking, was that off your own back? No one told you to do that? I mean, in Skeleton, we definitely encourage right from beginning to to take track notes. We mm-hmm. we have to learn a track. There's how many tracks in the world? A bit like your Formula One. There's X amount of yeah. tracks around the world, certain amount of corners. They're all left or right, you know, but they're all slightly different. <laughs> and you need to find the perfect line through that corner to get the most amount of speed and to get around the fastest or down the fastest. So for us trying to remember what happened. Where did I bump? Did I bump left or right when I came out of corner nine? That would tell you potentially what happened before corner nine and the knock-on effect. And so we definitely encourage all young athletes into the sport to take notes. How you develop them yourself is very individual. Not everyone probably does, goodness knows, whatever I used to do with colourful pens and make them this amazing piece <laughs> of artwork. Um, but for me, yeah, that's what was important. I mean, we had a psychologist but just before the Olympic Games. So I worked really hard with her to really try and um, make a more confident athlete out of myself, make me realize, why do I always get track records and I'm fastest in training, but I don't quite do it mm. on race day. So all of this and that previous note-taking or becoming very aware of what you're doing, what you're feeling, um, so if your coach was like, Amy, you look really grumpy and you're moody, I'm not grumpy and moody. I'm just actually really anxious and I'm really nervous, you know, but that came across on your face, let's just say is grumpy and moody, or even now in situations, some people might think you're being really antisocial and you're just a bit flat on your face. Well, yeah, well, actually that person might be really uncomfortable and they might be really mm. shy. And so yeah. that it's sort of, you can use that in lots of different places in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that keeping a journal, obviously you used it to achieve sporting excellence, but if we're sticking with that attitude of trying to get 1% better in any area, there's a lot of evidence and people saying there's a lot of value in keeping a journal. So again, for someone who's not necessarily going to be a gold medal winner like yourself, would you say there's value in keeping a journal to develop self-awareness? I definitely do encourage that. If that's the way that you like to get it out of you and to write it down or to express it in a picture, or some people just like to talk into their phone or, you know, scribble notes Mm. on, on the phone, just getting out the thoughts or, you know, just pick up the phone and chat to a mate, you know, it all comes out then or go and have that coffee with someone once a week. You know, I think everyone's got very different ways of dealing with it. It might be logging into a yoga class. It might be doing some specific mindfulness. You know what? 10 minutes of sitting down, taking big box, breathing breath, hold Mm. down, breathe out. That might be enough for you. And I think it's finding out what works for you and just giving everything a go, you know, trying everything until you think, oh, actually, all I need to do is do a nice yoga class where I switch off, light a candle, the children are asleep. And that's my one moment on a mat to be able to recenter myself and just get a little bit of calmness. You know, that might be a perfect solution for some people. Another thing that you've mentioned around self-awareness is as an athlete, your propensity when you were 
the athlete who was fantastic in training but not necessarily so good in competition was that propensity to compare yourself to others and then over time you learn to be a bit more intrinsic and this is another I think really valuable thing that relates to life and the old sport as a metaphor for life thing because I mean we're in particularly in a comparative time with social media and I think the more you can become focused inward and and not okay how am I doing compared to someone else but how am I doing just compared to myself the better so I just think that letting go of comparison which is what our brains are so prone to doing I think that's a really valuable lesson again that transcends sport yeah I think yeah in this world of social media Instagram Twitter Instagram being the worst you know that um, comparing yourself to other people all the time, especially, you know, our younger generations of what people look like, what they're wearing, Mm. you know, what things they have, what possessions, do they have the best bike? Do they have the best whatever? Yeah, I think it's terrible, but we all do it. And, you know, I scroll through, you know, fitness people and I'm like, oh, you know, she looks great. What's she doing? And we we all do it. But you're right. When it came to sport, um, it was a big thing that I worked with, with the psychologist before the Olympic Games of you have to look at other people, especially in sport, to see their technique, to see what they're doing, to see how they slide on their sled. And for us to see what lines they're doing down the track. Do they Mm -hmm. go in one inch to the left or the right to me? Are they angled to one way or the other to me on the sled and how do they come out of that corner and all of that can give you feedback on how you can get down that track the fastest so we would video uh the coach one or two coaches would video going into a corner coming out of a corner angles heights um so we could then study it watch lots of people we would spend hours on the side of a track I would have my hot water bottle stuffed down my back to keep me warm. Um, But Uh we would study and watch every inch of the track to learn it as much as we can. Because like I said, you only have six times down to learn. So if you can watch 200 people sliding from different sessions each day, learning how they're doing it, you get more information. So there's that one side where you have to study and look at people. And there's the other side of don't become obsessed. What warm up are they doing? Why are they that little bit quicker in their start? And well, they must be doing a different warm up to me. That must be better. Or, you know, that that real negative spiral of wanting to look and become obsessive with the other competitors. Yeah. Whereas actually, they're looking at you. Like, you forget, actually, they're probably doing the same thing to me. And I have a plan and I'm good and I can lift heavy and I have a good start and I know how to warm up. And suddenly realizing, I don't need to think about that. And that's having a negative impact now on my performance. And you are the only one for us who lays on our sled to make it go quicker. Or you're the only person in that rowing back boat to make that boat go faster. You're the only one at that moment in time with a rugby ball about to kick it over the, the goal. So it is, like we said before, it's always that balance of, yes, you need to learn from other people and then you need to park it and then just concentrate on you and make you the best person that you can be. And then the results yeah. will happen at the Olympic Games. Like if I come second, third, fourth, tenth, that's the very best that I know that I could have done on those two days because I did 100% every single day, every day of training for the last four years. But you have to learn that. It's a skill. Sure, of course. Do you know what? I'm so glad you said that. It's a skill because... You've shown that 
you were great in training, but you weren't superb in competition until later. So it was a process of, of the skill of learning, of dealing with pressure, of learning to not compare so much. So learning from other people, embracing that, but being wary of that tipping over into negativity. Because I think a lot of people can think, oh, it's just you're either born with it or you're not. No, with self-awareness, with all the things you're talking about, actually, it is a skill. You can get better at any of this stuff. Yeah, you just need the right techniques. Again, being very self-aware that that's what you're doing to yourself. And Mm. all of this comes from, yeah, writing things down or just observing. And a lot of it, and I wrote this in my psychology book, I remember doing an ice track session in Italy and some of my notes were if if I didn't look at the other girls' times of what they had just pushed and I had just my time, would I be happy with what I had just done? Yes. Hmm. And now that I've compared myself to the other wow. girls and they might have done one-tenth quicker, suddenly I'm not happy. And actually, wow. it was a real good lesson. And at the Olympic Games, I didn't listen to a single other girl's time. I didn't know who had done what time. And the fastest person goes off last. So as it happened on that last day, fourth final run, I was the very last one in the changing room. But I still didn't know who was down at the bottom of the track in the lead or who was second or who was third. Because I'd learned in that process that it doesn't make me feel any better. It doesn't make me go any faster if I know the times. And that was a real big lesson to learn from writing those notes of... Okay, like put your fingers in your ears. Don't look or observe anyone else. And now are you happy with you? Are you happy with your performance when you're blinkered to everyone else? So that's yeah. quite um, a sort of technique to have to learn and, yeah. um, and try out. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And that's such a valuable one for life. The quote that popped in my head as you were saying that is that old one of comparison is the thief of joy. And like you say, so if you can be happy with whatever you've got, I'm looking out into my garden now. Can I be happy with that? 
And then maybe there was a, a house next door that's got a huge, great garden. And if you start getting a bit over obsessed on that, suddenly your garden loses its its luster and its shine. And I know what you were saying about our brains do it. Our brain does have a propensity to compare, but we can sort of almost let go of that and not get too lost in it. And then as well, another thing I know that you sort of alluded to there was almost surrendering. So you obviously put all the training in and, and you went for it. And then it was like, but what will be, will be. Yeah. So, I mean, the last thing I looked at before I went out onto the ice was this little laminated card of three boxes with a tick in. And it was literally, I've done my tick boxes. My tick boxes were every day of the last four years, I've done every single training session. Yes, tick. Have I eaten the very best every day? Yes, tick. You know, whatever those, all those things were, have I prepared myself? Yes. Have I done as many track walks as possible? Yes. That was all it was. It was just a little cue to be like, I have done everything physically possible to put my feet on this start line. I'm at the Olympics. I've put down the fastest runs in training, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen on race day. Almost like I will now leave it to the gods, to the karma, to, you know, I have yeah, done yeah, yeah. everything I can. I look at that tick box, tick, tick, tick. That's where I got my confidence from. I've done everything. Now, whatever happens now, kind of let happens. it happen there's so much to be said for that because it's accepting what is and being in line with reality essentially it's like i've done everything i can and now what will happen will happen as opposed to it this should now be a certain way because we never know no. what other people are doing or that whole should or and i know as well you've spoken about i've heard you talk about language so letting go of i must win and i need to win to i want to win for example yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just about to say that, but you've you've done your research. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I always told myself I have to win now. I have to go down the fastest because I did it yesterday in my training runs. But that was the whole thing. It's like, yeah, you, you think you should, but you don't necessarily. And maybe me saying I now have to win, for me, put that 1% extra tension in my body. You know, and mm. if we're fighting against our sled, sure, you know, you're, you're just not as loose. And then you're trying that little bit too hard instead of, like you said, saying, right, I accept, I would very much like to win, but <laughs> I have done everything physically possible and you can't control what the other athletes are going to do. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, it was definitely, um, yeah, you know, my kind of little technique of what I did just to try and remain calm. It's while- fascinating how little things like that a little shift from I must win or an attitude of my must win to I would like to win. So subtle. And again, it comes down to just really small little impact, but can have a profound effect. Yeah. And you know what? That's building up from missing out on those Olympics in Turin. You know, those four years, it was like, I'm now going to do everything I physically can. You know, so it was a, it was every day for four years, sort of yeah being obsessed becoming really like blinkered and you know wanting that whole I don't want to regret anything you know that that horrible Mm. cliche of have no regrets but I mean that was exactly what it was like well I I haven't regretted anything of every day of every decision for the last four years so yeah let the whatever the other quote let the chips fall where they may or wherever (laughs) yeah that's it Oh, we've knocked out a few good quotes uh, today. Um, so in terms of missing out on Turin, obviously that would have been gutting, et cetera, at the time. However, mm. it was actually pretty fundamental for what went to, on to happen four years later when you became the first person in 30 years to win gold at a Winter Games. 
yeah and you know I I believe yeah I was never meant to go to those games you know I really believe in that and fate and destiny and Mm. yeah it was it was horrible it was terrible who knows if I did go what would I have come I don't know but that is the point I didn't go and it put fire and passion in my belly that every decision of every day. I vowed to myself at those Olympics as I was commentating in the commentating booth, overlooking the finish line. I went on holiday, I went to Australia, um, traveled around and then I came back and I vowed to myself every single day, the decision would be to get to go to Vancouver. So, you know, missing out, yeah, it was meant to be these decisions. And I speak to, you know, kids and I'm going off to do an assembly tomorrow. And, you know, I'm going to be talking to to young children. And I say, it doesn't matter if you miss out on a school team. It doesn't matter if you don't mm. quite make it or your friend does and you don't, you know, like that will make you fight harder or that will make you train harder or yeah. that will make you focus and look at something or what is it that I can improve? So, yeah, I think all of those sort of decisions, they're, they're there to make you tougher, to make you stronger to make you learn something about yourself um, to be able to go on and improve. Just quickly, you said you're off to do an assembly tomorrow. And again, to go back to what I said at the beginning about you talking about feeling that you were a bit introverted and lacking confidence or whatever. So many of us can relate to that, right? But obviously now you're a public speaker, very comfortable doing that. Because public speaking is one of those things that it's so high up on the list of people's phobias and anxieties. So for someone, for example, who hates public speaking and has, I just can't do it, a belief, I just can't do it. How would you encourage someone like that to get over it? I think it's it's acknowledging you're going to feel nervous. You're probably going to be shaky. You're probably going to be sweaty. So observing (laughs) all those things that are no doubt probably going to happen. Okay, that's fine. You know, knowing that you're going to have people looking at you, fine. And I think just becoming very aware and, you know, in having that mental imagery in your head. You know, our sport was a lot to do with mental imagery, practicing and thinking about things in your head before it's happened. So if I can picture the room, if I can know that I'm going to stand up on a platform, there's going to be 100 people in the room, which means 100 people looking. Okay, I know I'm going to feel nervous. Fine. So when it actually comes to the event and you're feeling all those things, you've already told yourself and you've almost already practiced it in your head. So although that sounds a bit strange, you know, mental imagery and knowing all that and practicing that in your head and, you know, write down your speech if you don't want to remember it in your head, you know, have notes, practice it, say it out loud Yeah. And I think I actually find it easier talking to 500 people that I don't know to, let's say, 10 people that you do know. It doesn't matter. Like no one's, you know, I think no matter what you do, what you say, um, people are always there to either support you. They're there to listen. They're there to be there for you in whichever circumstance it might be, whether that is doing a a talk at work that you don't want to do. They're there because they want to learn something from you. And you've Mm. been chosen to say something out loud, which means, you know, you're an inspiration for someone or you've got knowledge that someone you need to pass on or whatever it might be. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it comes back to that self-awareness and being aware. Yep, okay, like the Olympics, I know I'm going to be nervous. So what can I try and make myself not feel nervous? Okay, I acknowledge it and I'm going to do something about it to help myself. That acknowledging emotion is the opposite as well of like resisting emotion so acknowledging and accepting 
these emotions, these these normal emotions is really important. And a lot of people, I think, can get into the habit of, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. And once you go down that path, the emotion actually can overwhelm you a little bit. I've found that in my own life when I started out with broadcasting, you know, and I'd be like, oh, trying to shoo away emotions. But actually, no, the paradox is the more you kind of accept it, actually, the less control it has over you. Yeah. But I want to ask you about intuition, right? So because obviously self-awareness, is something that has been fundamental to your success. You've illustrated so many ways of doing it. And I've heard you talk really interestingly, though, about intuition, which is obviously another really important part of self-awareness is being aware of, of how we feel. And does this feel like the right thing? It's difficult to sort of quantify, but I know as well that this is something that you really value and hold in high regard and advocate. So could you talk a little bit about intuition and then can you particularly relate it to that story where they wanted to get you on a fast sled didn't they and you were like nope (laughs) yeah I don't know how and where whatever it started but I think think I've always or I am a very sensitive person you know it comes back to that shy person comes back to that personality Mm. um we did personality testing years ago in our sport sort of we do color insights work out if you're red blue yellow green person you know I've always known I'm super sensitive my husband knows that too well you know like my (laughs) mom's the same you know like I'll cry at any movie you know whatever I want peace I want calm I want harmony um yeah so I think once I knew that clearly about myself and knowing that uh, situations really affect me, the vibe in a room, I really feed off, which is a good thing when it sometimes comes to talks because you can really Mm. sense the feeling in a room and therefore change the way you might talk. Um, Yes. But it also then comes down into that, yeah, that that feeling that you feel inside and sort of that gut feeling. And I think that's where I I talk about the gut feeling. yeah, that intuition, that 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 sensitive side that you either have a gut feeling about someone, a situation, or um, I don't know, a vibe. And so, yeah. yeah, I think in sport that's taken a long time or whether, you know, you're with your boyfriend when you're 16 and your gut feeling says, I don't like this boy, what am I doing with him? Or, you know, silly yeah, little yeah. things like that. Um, so yeah, when it came to Olympics, we, um, the, my sled was a prototype sled. We just started designing sleds and now we've got McLaren technologies and, and they still get involved making the sleds really super fast. And we had, um, you know, a lot of money had gone into the research and design of our own runners. So that's the, the metal steel runners that are on the bottom of our sled. They're the things that actually touch the ice and they have mm. a groove and a knife cut in them. So a bit like the tread on a car tire yeah how deep gotcha. that tread is. is it a winter car you know is it a winter tire yeah. summer tire is it whatever lewis hamilton would put on you know so yeah we had these new ones and on paper they were meant to be super fast but we only got them like two weeks before the olympics when we were in um lake placid on our holding camp we were doing some testing and yeah i had a really bad crash on them they were very different to steer with it's a bit like go into the seat of your car and someone to change the wing mirrors and your seat's too high or too far away from your pedals, you know, and it doesn't feel right. Um, so yeah, I had a really bad crash. It really shook me up. I really felt strongly that I didn't have enough time to get used to these runners, but yeah, a lot of money had gone in and the research and the development and my coach was really telling me I have to use them. I have to race on them at the Olympics 
And like anything, you know, I just knew and my gut was saying, you don't know these runners. You don't know how they're going to work. You don't know how to steer them properly. Stick to your old goldies, your favorite runners that you've had for ages, that you just know what happens. You knew in your sledder at one. You know, you're going to the Olympics. It's the fastest track in the world. You have six runs to learn this track and then nail it for the race. And, you know, I had to make a really difficult decision and say, I don't want to use these. My gut says no. When I'm crying down the phone to my parents at home, feeling so much pressure, my gut says, do not do it. And for me, that shy person, it was a really big thing to have to pop my hands up and say, I am not going to use these because I don't feel comfortable and I don't want to go down the fastest track in the world where we can really hurt ourselves and I'm not comfortable on it. And it's probably one of the most important decisions I've ever made in my life. But since that point in time, I have always listened to my gut feeling. Mm. And since then, that big pit in that stomach, when you really know you've either made the wrong decision or you've done something you regret or a conversation or, you know, straight away, your gut tells you right or wrong. Mm. And and so, yeah, I do. I feel really strongly about that. yeah, okay, once in a while your gut your gut might get it wrong. You know, you probably should have done it and not. But I think still think in hindsight, you know then that you made the wrong decision. Um yeah. so yeah, I think um some people have that, some people don't. And like I said, I guess it's my personality of being quite a sensitive um person. I kind of pick up on a lot as well. Yeah. You said some people have it and some don't, but I think like what we've said earlier about it being a skill. I think the more I found I trust my intuition, the more it shows itself to be true. And so you had that one time where you listened to it and then, and it was such a fundamental choice to make and a hard one to make. And you said, you know, you're, you love saying yes, but actually in the most important moment you had to say no with all this pressure with all these people saying oh we want you to do this all this kind of stuff but yeah the more I've learned to embrace the intuition the more it shows itself to be true and then it becomes easier to actually listen to it yeah I think definitely I think it's just that balance of the um yeah the preparation you've put in work you then let your intuition take in charge you then maybe let a bit of fate sprinkle Mm. in on top and it's just finding that right recipe of letting all those different things path your, you know, take you down the right path. And um, yeah, whichever direction you might go left or right in your kind of journey through life, I think at certain times that intuition definitely helped you or yeah, when I decided, oh, I'll go down to that push track for the very first time, you know, all different life decisions and choices are a mixture of working at it, doing something really hard, really putting 100% in, And then that little sprinkling of sparkle dust on top that could be your gut feeling or an intuition or, oh my goodness, I feel like I have to say yes to this, you know, and then you never know where that might go. So I think it's a good little mixture of everything. Yes, absolutely. Right. Listen, Amy, you've been full of gems about self-awareness. And I want to just finish, though, by just talking about the experience of skeleton itself, because clearly, I mean, it's nuts, right? You're flying down headfirst on a sled at speeds of 90 miles an hour. I mean, it can be very dangerous at times. And I've heard you speak about, like if you haven't done it for a long period of time, the first time you do it, it just goes boom. And it's like being shot out of a cannon. But then 
over time, time itself starts to distort and slow down. And and you've spoken a minute ago about being one with the sled. Yeah, I'm just really interested about the experience of what it's like. People talk about being in flow so often in sport and you know, you get you lose your sense of self. You, you know, mm. the, the me disappears, time distorts. It's like reality gets bent out of shape. So could you just talk a little bit about what that's like in the context of what I've just said, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think being at the flow, um I'll flow with the little child who's <laughs> the boys awake. Here we go. He's come out of his little zone and flow of the iPad, clearly. There we go. I, I think um in skeleton and with lots of sport, you have that moment of being at one, being at one where you don't have to think about anything and everything is flowing um, for us, clearly flowing down the track, whatever, you know, that that is, whether it is in your car and suddenly you're home and you don't know how you got there. Um, you know, it could be any of those things. And I think that sometimes just happens and it happens when we manage to turn off that little bit of our brain it happens when you've massively practiced something you know I think it's a little bit of everything and I think you're just very lucky sometimes to have those sort of almost magical moments are those the moments that are the most sort of enjoyable almost yes and no I mean when I think back to my Olympic race in that last I don't really remember the last bit of the of the track. Clearly, I had to because mm. otherwise I would have crashed. You know, I had to be doing my thing and my steers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then suddenly you're coming out the outrun, and you're like, "Oh, whoa! How did that just happen?" But clearly, yeah. you, know, you were obviously in that moment in time where your brain was empty of any other worries or thoughts, and yeah, you were only yeah. doing what you were doing. And I think that's quite. And I guess that goes back to mindfulness and meditation, yeah, or yeah. doing a yoga class where you actually, for that moment, you're just in it. You're not worrying yeah. about the shopping list, or it just happens, doesn't it? It just yeah. happens in that moment in time. And you could just be going out on a walk, and suddenly you're yeah. like, "Oh, back home." Almost like in a little daydream. Like, yeah. oh, well, I really was walking left and right and I've managed to get home, but oh, yeah. I was away with the fairies at the same time or whatever. Like, it's that clarity, that emptiness. Suddenly you don't have stresses, you know, suddenly they've just all disappeared or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, I think in sport, that comes from practice, from, you know, years of doing it, or, you know, you're just lucky that you have that magical moment. Sport's beautiful for that. And I know I know you're very arty as well. I mean, you're very lucky to have the sport and the art. Do you find, do you experience that when you're partaking in your arty pursuits? <laughs> well, yeah, that sort of hasn't happened for quite a while. Although I'm trying to, you know, I got the Play-Doh out the other day and I was trying to make some <laughs> So now it's to do with Lego, you know, my arty creative. Who can make the best robot out of Lego? Um, but yeah, I mean, the actual sort of, making things painting doing all of that I mean I haven't done that for years I always thought I would when I had little children they'd be sleeping and idyllically I would be sat at the table making stuff no I haven't done that so I guess for me almost the creativeness you know of even sort of doing this book and actually a lot of all the diagrams and drawings I drew myself so you know that was a little bit of moment of I'm going to be creative now because I'm I'm drawing this I'm getting the sharpies out I've got my A4 pieces of paper what do I want this diagram and image to look like to help explain a pie chat or doing your goal settings or that internal external what we were talking about yeah oh, i'm gonna make yeah. this visual i'm gonna draw this down on a piece of paper here so that your 15 year old can visually see it and put things in so actually i mean i 
I had about 42 or 45 A4 pages that then all went in the book, you know. So I think for me, this last sort of year and a half, being creative in a different way. um, And to think I'm actually an author and I can't even spell, you know, like my spelling (laughs) sometimes be like, what? You can't even put a sentence together. Thank goodness for editors and spell checkers. Absolutely. That's what they're there Um, for, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, that was maybe a different way of being creative um, in a different way than what I would have what the old creative sure. me would have been. Um, and all, But listen, you were late to Skeleton, right? You were 18. So by, by which point people, are, most people have been, most elite athletes have been doing it for a long, long time. So there's still time yet for you to open the art gallery that, you know, you wanted and all that kind of stuff. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt true. it. Right, very last question, Amy, is obviously you did win gold, right? In, in 2010, as I said, first person in 30 years. I've spoken to some people who, for example, won gold or a World Cup or whatever, and they might have felt uh, a sense of relief, sometimes disappointment or underwhelm. I'm interested what you felt. And the reason I'm asking is there's that old equation, which is happiness is reality minus expectation. And being the first person to win gold in 30 years, how did you feel? Were you joyful? Were you relieved? What was your experience? And what role did expectation or lack of it play in that? Yeah, um, when I won, definitely that kind of overwhelming feeling was relief, actually, a sort of word that you don't think is going to be there because it was relief that I hadn't just done it in training. I had finally done it in the race. Relief that those four years, you know, all those little things that no one had seen me doing and all that training had worked, you know, and it was that I knew I could win a medal and I knew when I put it all together, you know, this wasn't a fluke. This was every second of every day working hard to make it happen. So it was this massive sense of relief of, I knew I could do it and I just did it. Oh, brilliant. And it was quite a plain sort of like, yeah, I knew I could do that and I did it. Huh, great, full stop. You know, like it was a sort of strange matter of fact, like, yeah, Yeah. thank goodness I finally did it, sort of a, a feeling. And then you know, you then have the other emotions come in and just be feeling really proud. And you don't know all those statistics beforehand. You know, it's only the Claire Bolden yeah. who knows all her facts in that first yeah. interview. Like, wow, yeah. didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and I guess that feeling of my name is on the history boards. That's never going anywhere. That That's me. That's my name. And I think now, and well, times now, I've got a little person sat on my lap looking at YouTube and I'm like, <laughs> this is my life now. Was I ever that girl? Was that ever me? Um, so I think it's it's that um, that other chapter and reliving it. And you know, every year uh, on my medal's birthday, I, I message the other girls, my the two German girls who came second and third, who are great friends, oh. friends for life. Oh, my nice. coach, you know, we message each other and we all say happy birthday medal or happy oh, birthday. My coach it. every year is like happy birthday champ, and I'm like happy birthday coach. You know, and. Oh. It, it, it's a really lovely thing um, that happens. And I I think the emotions flow through you every four years when there's a winter Olympics and we've got, it'll be Beijing 2022, February, you know, when those Olympics go back on, I will probably be a blubbery mess because I'll be like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. I've actually got a medal. And that's what all those people are trying to race and get. And it only hits you like watching Olympic games. Like, wow, I've got that. I did that. You know, because every other part of your life when you're just, being you, being a mum, working, business, life, 
you know, you forget it, don't you? It's yeah, it's of course, yeah. It's just you're just normal, and we are all just normal, right? But you've yeah. done something extraordinary as well. Well, listen, Amy, it's been an absolute pleasure. And that's such a lovely way to finish. I could feel my heart a bit warm when you were saying that about you and your fellow medalists. I think that's a really lovely touch. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing all your nuggets of wisdom around self-awareness. Something else that came through to me as well was just like embracing sensitivity. That's clearly something you've done and flourished as a result. You know, it can be a superpower as well as obviously, like anything, it's got its pros and its cons, but you've really molded it. Um, along with the self-awareness and and embracing your intuition and all that stuff. So I just want to say thank you very much. It's been full of really good nuggets. I'm going to let you get back to your cats, your boys, your cows, and your wonderful view out the window. But thank you very much. It's been a real, real pleasure talking to you. It really has. Thank you so much, Simon. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to this week's episode with Amy Williams. Now, Amy had lots of valuable nuggets to share, including how she really embraced her sensitivity and developed confidence over time, treating it like a skill. I think her attitude of being open to new experiences is spot on, as is learning to trust her intuition, which she did to spectacular effect at Vancouver 2010. Daily journaling was clearly helpful for Amy to help her find those small, daily, consistent improvements and acknowledging that while our minds do have a propensity to compare and judge with others, we have a choice as to what degree we engage with it. I really enjoyed our conversation. I'd be delighted to hear your thoughts. Get in touch via social media at Simon Mundy or via my website, simonmundy.com. Thanks to everyone who's dropped me a message of late. Always much appreciated. And just a reminder, do sign up for this week's newsletter at simonmundy.com. It's three of the best nuggets from over 160 conversations dating back over three years. And finally, if you could share this episode and rate and review this podcast, it would make a real difference. Anyway, that's it for now. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.